0: Greetings and welcome to the latest edition of the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, the Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter, and we're approaching one full year of our ALS podcast, which is very exciting, uh, to me at least, hopefully to you as well. Uh, If you're listening in for the first time, you can find past 50 episodes on iTunes by searching for the ALS podcast or searching at ALS Philadelphia, all one word. Uh, If you listen to past episodes, you've heard from legislators, you've heard from family members, researchers, and many other perspectives, including those of people who are living with ALS, to talk about their perspective of being with this disease. And that's what we're going to be talking about today with uh, my friend Philip Avillo, whom I actually haven't met in person before, but we've communicated a lot, and I think he's going to share a lot of great perspective on his life with ALS and how he's getting involved, and what you can do as well. Uh, Before we do that, I want to let you know that you can get involved yourself. Just go to alsphiladelphia.org, and you can donate, advocate, uh, find ways to volunteer, and many more ideas for getting involved to support people with ALS, or get connected with ALS services. If you have the disease or know someone that does, you can learn about our clinics, you can learn about... um, our programs and get a lot of helpful information. So, with that in mind, I'd like to t- introduce Philip. Phil, thanks for joining us on our podcast today.
1: Pleasure to be here, Tommy. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, uh, Sue Walsh, who's the nurse at the Hershey Clinic, for and and you can find her podcast if you're listening. Um, she's spoken very highly about you, and um, I'm I'm excited to have a real conversation with you. Well.
1: Uh... It's been a while. We have uh, communicated, as you said, over the last few months, but haven't had this opportunity for a, uh, an in-person uh, uh, get-together.
0: Well, I'm sure we'll be seeing each other soon, because you're going to be involved in the upcoming Hershey Walk to Defeat ALS. So we have... Uh, a-
1: well, I just really found out about that uh, on Wednesday at the clinic, uh, And uh, I'm really not sure all of what my participation will entail, but uh, I am looking forward to participating. I think that's in May,
0: isn't it? The walk to defeat ALS at Hershey, Pennsylvania, is on June 4th, but I know you're going to be involved with the corporate recruitment breakfast, which is really exciting. Um, But before we get, we don't need to go into all those details about everything going on there. So you're you're living with ALS. Uh, Tell our audience about... um, when you learned that you had ALS, and you know what was what led up to that diagnosis.
1: Well, the uh, uh, I had a preliminary diagnosis uh, a year ago, this coming March, so it's 2015 March, and uh, the uh, uh, the official diagnosis took place in April when I went to the Hershey Clinic, <clears throat> the ALS Clinic at Hershey Medical Center, and Dr. Simmons. Uh, The neurologist there, the uh, director of the clinic, uh, examined me and confirmed that I did indeed have ALS. The uh, symptoms for the disease came on, and it's really hard to pinpoint that uh, exactly when it happened, but the absolute noticeable weakness that I was experiencing Took place on a trip to uh, Paris and London, a, you know, a, uh, what we call it, a bucket list trip, I guess. My wife and I had uh, always wanted to visit Paris and London. So we went to Paris. We were there approximately a week. Uh, I should point out here that I'm an above the knee amputee as well. Hmm. So I've been an above the knee amputee for 50 years, the result of a gunshot wound uh, I received in Vietnam in 1965. But in Paris, uh, I walked all over that city for five or six days, uh, and you include the traveling to there, and then, uh, then we traveled to, uh, and I had no difficulty. I mean, I was tired, and I was feeling, but I managed, uh, all the things and sights you can see in Paris that I wanted to see, we did. Then we went to London, and, uh, the second day we were there, I said to my wife that, uh, I was really, really fatigued, and I thought I'd have to start using a crutch, which I did, and we did everything we wanted to do in London. I attributed this fatigue to uh, two things. One, I I was 72 years old then, and two, I'm doing all of this on one leg, and I've been doing it all for 50 years, and my body is wearing out. Eight, old age. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back from Europe, and uh, the situation did not improve. I thought it was, uh, uh, if I exercised more, Maybe it were, I would get stronger, but it kept on. My, my strength kept diminishing, and uh, in last February, uh, almost a year after those uh, trips to uh, Paris and London, uh, I went to see a local physician here, and he uh, referred me to the neurology departments, and that's when the uh, the verdict came in. And
0: I and you sound. Some- uh most people don't know much about ALS before they're diagnosed, and I don't know what you know, but you obviously were very attuned to your symptoms because, I mean, I know a lot of people that have had ALS and intelligent people, but, um, you know, like, oh, it just, it felt odd for a while, and it, it didn't seem like they had something more serious, but you were able to kind of tell because the exercise and the other things weren't making it better that something else must be up. Well, Yes, yeah, so I said to, uh, at one point I said to my wife,
1: I, uh, uh, it, it, I don't know what's happening here, and we have to uh, find, we have to find out. Uh, I had been uh, talking with my physician, and we tried a couple of things, and uh, and he said I should see another person, and he sent me to see another doctor. Uh, <clears throat> so, yes, I, uh, uh, we just had no understanding of what was taking place.
0: So, you talked to Dr. Simmons at the Hersey Medical Center, right? And so that must have been a very tough meeting, but was how was Dr. Simmons helpful to you? Well uh, Dr. Simmons is helpful because he's a man of great compassion understanding as well as uh, very very deep knowledge of the disease uh,
1: so his uh, uh, those first two characteristics uh, the understanding and the compassion uh Give him an ability to address the uh, this horrific disease in a way that I can't say is uh, eases the uh, the diagnosis, but helps the patient at least helped me to understand more fully
0: what uh, ALS entailed and what my uh, what I could anticipate in the future. And yeah, I I really appreciate Dr. Simmons as well. He's taught me a lot in my five years being here. Um, and yeah, you're right. He can explain things in a way that you're know, like oh i I don't f- I, I feel like I can understand you. Did he make it easier to understand what was happening with the disease? Well he did i uh, uh, once I was diagnosed uh, in a preliminary way,
1: even before seeing Dr. Simmons, I began doing my own research uh, to the extent that I could. And I uh, was learning a lot about the disease. Uh, not that I had never heard of it, of course, everybody knew about Lou Gehrig's disease and Stephen Hawking. And uh, the <clears throat> the bucket challenge of the previous August, uh, my own family was involved in. My son and his uh, um, his wife and three children all were, were participants in that. So it's uh, it wasn't a disease we'd never heard of, but the understanding of it,
0: uh, for people like me who weren't involved in it before, uh, was minimal. I, I don't think. Well, I know I didn't have any full understanding of the of all the ramifications associated with the disease. Well, um, I appreciate all of that, and I am um, also a lot of the people I've talked to for this podcast and other things um, have been diagnosed before the I expected challenge became a thing. Did that challenge, kind of when you had your symptoms, did it kind of trigger in your head, hey, I heard about ALS through that, and through other things happening in the in the news, like Steve Gleason, who's been prominent, um, did that increase awareness kind of put put a bug in your ear about what ALS was when it came to, came to be? Well, no, it did not. Uh, let's see, was that August 2014? What yeah. was that? Yeah, August 2014.
1: Okay, so that was few months after my European trip, uh, but, you know, I still was thinking at that point, uh, I had, uh, it, it might still be this age thing and so on. It, no, it never occurred to me that this was going to lead to this diagnosis. So it, uh, it wasn't until, uh, after the new year, 2015, that, uh, we became conscious, my wife and me, uh, my wife and I, of the, uh, uh, the depth of the of the problem uh, and the need to really go beyond where we had explored earlier. My wife is a uh, is a uh, is an RN, a nurse. Uh, she was a Navy nurse, and she's been she has great experience uh, in in the profession. And I think she well, she will tell you that she had uh, some concerns that it might be ALS well before the diagnosis but she never uh, articulated those to me uh, because she knew, she knew we needed to have further study.
0: Well, it's great having a wife that's um, helpful and supportive, and we have a lot of people with great spouses, but it's it's easier to be supportive when you know a bit about health care, that's for sure. Well, it's also, uh, it's also uh, more of a burden what <laughs> uh, you know. That's true. You worry about things in ways that other people might not. You see, you
1: see things that ordinary eyes don't necessarily see. When I say ordinary, I see lay people don't necessarily see. And uh, it's helpful in many ways. Uh, at the same time, it's, uh, it creates another uh, layer of responsibility for her that uh, a spouse
0: who wasn't quite as familiar with uh, the ramifications of this disease might not be actually happen. Right, yeah, I, and I've said this in the last podcast, and I've said it many other times, um, my grandfather had ALS, like you, was a veteran, um, and he, my my dad was a great caregiver, terrific person, but he didn't have any healthcare background, um, my mother's mother had Parkinson's disease, and my mom and her sister both had some healthcare background, so they knew some questions to ask, some things to look for, symptoms to be concerned about. Uh, and my dad knew how to be a good caregiver and be there for everything, but you don't know what you don't know. And it it, it was interesting watching those two different things happen because they both approach it with different understandings. Yes. Uh, and
1: for me, the, uh, the uh, one of the issues, I know that's a topic you thought we might talk about, was what I had, what kind of a life I had before, uh, prior to the diagnosis, I uh, almost my entire life, I was uh, a high school athlete, a college athlete, played two sports in college, uh, uh, went in the Marine Corps, Mm-hmm. And the uh, the the thing that uh, took me by complete surprise was when uh, I read, or maybe Dr. Simmons told me—I don't remember exactly where.
0: think you should ask the communication guys so much but um i i know there's been a lot of studies about exercise and als and um i different people might say different things so there's a lot to be learning about it right now uh, the national als association's done funded some studies on it i think that there's been things happening here in pennsylvania in terms of researching from from hershey dr simmons is understands it a lot better um, but I do know that exercise and ALS is something that we're trying to understand. You know what? You know what? What is affecting ALS? So do, should exercise happen more? Should it happen less? Should you be doing it in different ways? It, it's it's something that I know that people are looking at. Intensity level is also another issue. Right. Yeah, you know,
1: I I still uh, around the house on the ambulatory uh, with a walker, uh, but the uh, the uh, the. Uh, the difficulty of uh, knowing how much exercise is uh, what I can do and not be exhausted for the next day and several days after, and maybe not really even
0: return to my previous strength is, is always a question in my mind. So, uh, But now that I'm losing even more uh, control, uh, muscle control, uh, even if I wanted to, exercise is becoming increasingly more difficult. Right. So I've been staying away from strenuous exercise.
1: I do stretching and, uh, I say a little bit of walking uh, around the house with a walker, uh, which is, uh, a little, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, with the walker and walking around? It's, uh, uh compounded by the fact that I only have one leg. Right.
0: So all of that is still, uh, an issue. Uh, but, being ambulatory is uh, is still a, a very important consideration for me, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to have that at this point. Oh, definitely. And, and you know, I, I have heard of many people who have had a very active life that then developed ALS, and that's something that researchers have looked at, whether that has affected it. Um, we know other people who are veterans, and maybe that part of being in the service, because you know, as a Marine, you were very active in things. Maybe that triggered something at some point in life or um, with oxygen levels or other things in terms of the high energy and high stress on the body that intense exercise can have. Um, And we, we all need to work out, and every neurologist will say, continue exercising. We don't want to tell people not to exercise, but I think it's something that we're trying to understand in terms of what effect that has on the body and on the brain and on and on blood cells and on the nervous system yes I think that would be uh, uh,
1: that is a, a real consideration uh, what role does exercise play uh, and it, it seems to vary from patient to patient but I'm not an expert in that area so i can't uh, I can't really uh, address it any more than I have at this point the the thing that uh, uh, convinced me something was really wrong with me is when I
0: tried to increase my exercise, and day to day I got weaker and weaker. Right, I was able to do less and less. Yeah, so, and I, I know as someone I don't, ex, I'm not as good of an athlete as you, and um, I try and exercise regularly. And I know myself when I go and I can do more weight or more time, or um, especially after doing it multiple times on some sort of exercise or. Thing like that, and you know, if I, I I can tell when I can't do something well, and doctor will tell me not to do that anymore. But that's because of like an injury or something. Yes. Uh, so, well, it's, uh, it, it's the uh, and I think
1: that's of, of all the things that uh, uh, I uh, the ALS has uh, impacted me with the most is the uh, the fact that I can't do that anymore. But you know, I was playing golf uh, even through the summer here, middle of the summer. Uh, golf uh, using a cart Uh, although I did walk occasionally uh, nine holes over the past few years but I was surprised that once the uh, the golf became physically prohibitive where my balance was so uh, tenuous that I couldn't get to the cart to the green very easily, you know what I'm talking about there? Yeah. Uh, That uh, I just walked away from it. Well, literally didn't walk away from it but stepped back from it and transitions into other things. And so maybe instead of playing golf
0: now, uh, what I'm uh, uh, indicating to you is that I want to be an advocate of some kind. Yeah, for yeah. the ALS cause. I think it, it makes a difference for someone like yourself, who you're, you've had such a, a busy life in terms of physically and serving our country, and we appreciate that. Um, now, like you said, everyone's story is different, but you understand what ALS has taken from you on a very personal and physical level beyond just it's hard to walk. You can tell a very compelling story. And so you felt compelled to share that story because you understand how others will will see it.
1: Well, I don't know exactly uh, if I can understand how others uh, will experience it or uh, deal with it, but I do know that Uh, many people have dealt with it before, and I can't really explain how how they've done it. You know, we've had some very famous people, uh, Stephen Hawking and, of course, Lou Gehrig, uh, but Maury Schwartz and and, and others who have uh, kind of outlined a way of life for themselves. Uh, And it's important, I think, for me, at this stage of my uh, disease, to make these uh, days that I have left meaningful in some way and uh, one way to do that it seems to me is to provide some kind of a voice to uh, ALS uh, the disease as an advocate if I can
0: well it it sounds like that's kind of been a mantra for your life and now you've just directed it with more intensity and focus because of what's happening but um, you, you served our country and you um, have done a lot with your family and your background. Um, what what is you came you served in the military uh, in Vietnam, and then what did you do with your life? That kind of did you continue on with those values of wanting to, you know, make do something meaningful? Well, I I did in this respect.
1: Uh, uh, I tried to work when I got out of the Marines. I was already a college graduate when I got out of the Marine Corps. I finished college, so. Uh, I had a college degree, and I, I moved to uh, Southern California from New York uh, soon after my discharge. I uh, tried to carve a life for myself out there, and the thing that I found that appealed to me <clears throat> on many levels <clears throat> was uh, teaching. Uh, I had tried some, uh, I, was, I worked for an oil company out there in California for, for a while, uh, but that didn't satisfy my, uh, what just in not fit well with me. Uh, And I did some substitute school teaching and found that I really enjoyed that. So I decided to uh, go back to college to see if I could become uh, an educator. And while I went back originally for high school teaching, uh, I wound up uh, (laughs) going to graduate school for six years uh, getting a PhD in history. Uh, And uh, while I was doing that, I was coaching something, something a, a little bit also. I coached a, uh, a girls' high school basketball team in San Diego for a year. And at the University of Arizona, I uh, coached the uh, university uh, club, men's club lacrosse team for three years. Uh, so coaching and teaching seemed to be a nice fit for me. Uh, then I moved here to York, where I
0: taught at York College for 37 years, was it? I think so. I'll take your word for it. Uh, I'll, t- me? I'll take your word on that.
1: Uh, and uh, during that period of time, I uh, did a lot of youth coaching. I coached uh, mostly teams that had children of mine on it, uh, including baseball,
0: basketball, soccer, uh, and uh, what else was it? Well, I guess that's it. But, uh, that's a lot.
1: <laughs> and, but it was uh, my daughter. I had to go into girls' basketball. Uh, for her. And, uh, and then when that was all over, uh, then I uh, began coaching the uh, York College lacrosse club, which I did for six years. We took it to the NCAA Division Three level, and uh, I coached them at uh, the varsity level for two years. Uh, when I realized by then I was 60, 60 years old, I think.
0: <laughs> so you and just did all this uh, stuff and realized, then realized. <laughs> You just did all this stuff and then realized, wow, I've been doing this a while. Well, I also realized that at the NCAA level, the different game than at the club level, you know, I was anxious to bring it to that level, but Mm -hmm. uh, after two years, uh, well, after one year, I realized the team needed
1: uh, a coach who could take them to the next level Mm -hmm. and felt that I wasn't able to do that. I've been out of the game basically, you know, for 40 years since I graduated from college. Uh, and I had to kept up with a lot of the things that were going on. I was able to fashion a strong club team, but at the varsity level, thought it was uh, imperative that they have. Uh, I felt like a piano teacher, you know, who did the uh, farmer and Adele kind of music, uh, but had a student who could play Beethoven. Yeah. But couldn't bring that student there. Uh, so I wanted to, I guess, well anyway, I just retired from coaching. And uh, now we have a really incredible program here at York College.
0: You know, you know, you're listening to your story for these last 20 minutes or so. Um, it's really interesting, your self-awareness, that I think more people could get. You you understood the symptoms that were happening to you and that you, you needed to get to someone else to do more. You understood um, that you could take students to such a level and they needed more. You understood that you... Um, wanted to teach, but you needed to learn more to be able to do it at a different level. Like, you seem to have, at many times, including from your time in the service, you understood both your strengths and your weaknesses, and and then acted upon them to, you know, hopefully make something better. Well,
1: I think you give me a little more credit there. That,
0: uh, That's my job. <laughs> the understanding uh, is... Uh, is frequently the, uh, it, it, it comes uh, in a flash it's not something that is you, know, you just kind of
1: look, look in a different direction at a, one point in your life and say oh maybe there's something else that has to be done here uh, so it, uh, I'm not sure if uh, the consciousness of this decision making was always clear in my mind
2: uh, well that's you know, normal
0: totally understand yeah and I, I think what i'm thinking is from talking to a lot of other people including our nursing staff here um and, and you know, personally in my own family as well Is one of the things that's hard to do is realize that you're not the best person to do something or that you need to get help and you know we see this a lot um not even just from people with als who need care but family members or People who want to volunteer. Everyone has this. Um, it's hard to ask for help or to realize that, you know, some I, I could do something different, and I and that ends up being a big strength because you're able to do to accomplish more by by seeking out others. Well, it's uh, uh, one of the things that uh, sustains me right now uh, is the fact that we have had. Uh, Linda and I have had such a a wonderful life together, uh, and that uh, we have a beautiful family. We have uh, terrific friends. Uh, we live in a very uh, supportive community. So, and and we have all of this help with the uh, Hershey ALS Clinic, with the Veterans Administration,
1: and uh, with our our uh, the friends I mentioned and family as well. So. Uh, these are things that make it possible, I think, for me to be more of a uh, to, to lean into the advocacy uh, sphere, uh, because uh, so many people have advocated for me over the years as well. And uh, anything that we've done as a family, or I've done as an individual, have been the result of other people giving me those opportunities.
0: Well, you mentioned uh, your wife and she you know, was able to uh, understand things. There's a burden with that, like you said. You also said that she was a Navy nurse and you were in the Marines. Um, did you meet through your military life? Well, I,
1: I was uh, medevaced. When I got to the States, I was sent to the Philadelphia Naval Hospital. And she was uh, she had just gone on active duty there a few months before I arrived. I actually met her uh, at an off, I want to say campus, but off hospital, uh, party. And, uh, we, uh, kind of found each other along the way, I guess. It didn't happen overnight. I met her in 1966, in April. I remember the month, I can't remember the day, although I pretend to sometimes. Uh, but, uh, and we got married, uh, two and a half years later in August of 1968 in
0: California. Uh, you know, you are actually the second person with ALS that I know through this chapter who served in Vietnam and met their wife while they were serving who was also in the military. Well, it's,
1: uh... It, you find people of like mind you know, in the military. Uh, I think, uh... She was something of an adventurer uh, and, uh... I, I, I think about people who uh, volunteer and go into the military as uh, risk-takers, you know. And in this respect, I think uh, Linda was a risk-taker. It was a very different kind of a thing for a uh, young woman right out of nursing school. She went to the University of Massachusetts, uh, got a nursing degree there. Uh, it's very unusual for people to do that and to... Uh, take a a step that is going to basically remove them from everything that's familiar, family, friends, geography. I guess you understand what I'm saying by that. Uh And uh, so uh, we both did that as young people. I actually enlisted in the Marines when I was uh, 17 into an officer training program. I was in college at the time. uh, So my commitment was very early, very young, And uh, hers uh, took place uh, midway through her nursing training at school. Maybe her senior year. It might have been her senior year she enlisted in the Navy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have uh, had a life that was uh, put together by the fact that we both walked, walked away from everything that was familiar and took... I don't even think I thought of it as a risk, man. To me, it seemed pretty natural, and I think it did to her too. So, uh, but when you have—that's a pretty uh, large piece of common ground.
0: Yeah.
1: If, uh, when you think about it,
0: <clears throat> now, so you- it's been a great life. Uh, she was uh, she taught at the uh, York College too for 26 years in a nursing program. Uh, she came on on the faculty about 10 years after we got to New York. So it was a great experience for both of us. No wonder Sue Walsh likes you guys so much. Anyone that's connected to a nurse, she's going to like.
1: Anyone who's what?
0: Connected to a nurse, she's going to like. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, you know, my daughter's a nurse, too. so it's, uh, Our daughter, I should say, is a nurse. And, uh, well, I was gonna... She has uh, followed in her mother's footsteps. And so, how many how many children do you have? We have three. And what what are their Johnson, names? And,
1: uh, and a daughter.
0: What what are their names?
1: Well, our, our oldest son is Andy Andrew. Uh, he's a, he's a Navy dentist, uh, and uh, he and his family were just transferred to Bethesda Naval Hospital. He's been in the Navy now for sixteen years, I think. Stephen is our uh, second son and he uh, lives in Reno with his wife in Nevada uh, where he's a uh, he's a lawyer and Susan our daughter is uh, married and has a son and she lives in uh, Reisterstown, Maryland
0: so you know I like anyone with who names their kid Andrew that's my first son's name too oh um. <laughs> yeah well. That takes courage, you know. <laughs> your son's done. Your son's done a lot more than mine. Mine. Mine's pretty smart as it is. He can count to fourteen, but that's. <laughs> he's he's quite young. Yeah, he's all, he. He turns two this weekend. Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah that's a great age. Uh, yeah, well, uh, the uh, the one of the things about uh,
1: being the above the teeth that uh, 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 came home to me very quickly after we had children was that at age two. Oh my kids could outrun me.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, uh, I'm already realizing how fast a two-year-old could be. Yeah. Uh, well, that's
1: the, that, that's uh, one of the realities of that. But uh, the
0: <clears throat> so you're all they, you know, they two of them have followed in their parents' footsteps. Uh, they just taken off. You know, Andy and Stephen. Uh,
1: and has uh, moved to moved to Reisterstown, Maryland. You know, she hasn't moved too far, but uh, she's still out on her own,
0: which is uh, uh, quite interesting. Is that something you wanted to tell your children and even your students and, and uh, people you coach? Like you and your wife Linda became adventurers. You went you as you said walked away from what was familiar. Do you do you tell people that as a life lesson to try that?
1: About children, that. Uh, uh, but the, uh, you know, I could see that. Uh, the, uh, as a college teacher, when I was teaching uh, young people in school, uh, I encouraged them to be risk takers. Uh, that uh, to step outside of what was familiar and try something different. Not that you had to leave home permanently or even temporarily, but to do something that might have been. anticipated doing. Uh, now, I didn't say that every meeting or uh, to every single student. Uh, but I probably did say it in class occasionally that uh, you know, think about uh, doing something different. Uh, as a coach, uh, I think the young men I coached at the, the college on the club level uh, were risk takers because they, they were Committing to something that uh, required them to uh, have considerable discipline. Uh, It wasn't a ragtag club. We practiced every day. We took three trips to Florida to play games. Uh, We were, as I said, became a pretty strong team by the end of our club life. And then the young men I recruited to join us on the uh, first varsity team. They were taking a big risk because there was nothing there to give them any confidence that we would be successful. And uh, so, yeah, I think that uh, that's a very positive path for young people to take. Uh, But it does take, uh, you have to have uh, parental support and certainly a sense of self-confidence. And I'm not sure... We get all those things? I know where you can get the parental support, but I don't know where the self-confidence comes in. Well, My daughter had that not too long ago. And uh, I said, I, I don't know exactly uh, where... What seems to be a self-confidence that I have, I don't know where it comes from. <laughs>
0: but, I think you sometimes you learn it from example and from the other things you're taught are important. You know, it's... Well, it also comes from the fact that as I was growing up, a lot of people showed confidence in me. So maybe that's where it is. It's uh, who knows? I don't know. It's just. uh, I agree with you. I think that. I think that makes me wonderful. Life, the extra
1: thing that's so so amazing. Uh, We are uh, we are still uh, overwhelmed. Linda and I about how uh, blessed our life has been even with this uh, uh,
0: this uh, horrible disease you know I think that you uh, you know you make a good point about people showing confidence in you kind of makes you think well if they all think I'm deserve this confidence I should probably do something with it you know maybe there's something to it yeah I'm not exactly sure I, uh, I had mentors uh that I couldn't have couldn't have said that's what they were when I was younger, right? Uh, but
1: uh, the uh, it's hard to yeah you know, it's hard to go back that far to understand it. But I had a high school lacrosse coach, I had a high school Latin teacher, a high school history teacher, uh, and you know you remember those people who were so influential on in your life and the, they did.
0: Well, I, I think that that probably um, also translates into how you treat others. You know, you had people that were showing confidence in you. You talk about mentors that you didn't realize were mentors at the time. And then you go on to coach and teach and raise three children. And, you know, I only see, I only know about three of them now, but you can see what they've done. Um, you know, that's part of what you want to do is make sure that they feel confident and... Um, you know, walk away to to do things on their own on the field or in their personal life.
1: Yeah, well, it's uh, it, for us. It's worked out uh, at least to this point uh, in a way that uh, one could never have anticipated. You know, and I think that uh, uh, that our lives unfolded in ways that uh, we've been uh, so. Gifted to have, uh, but we couldn't have anticipated it when we were first married. Oh, and certainly when I after I got wounded, you know, and uh, trying to overcome that particular obstacle uh, in my life. Uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure when I realized that the picture was rosier than perhaps I was giving it credit for. I tell you one thing: moving to Southern California gives you a different outlook. I
0: went there in January this month in 1967, Mm -hmm. and it was a different world, sunshine and warm weather, beaches, and a VA out there that took great care of me, too. Well, I think that, well, this winter we've seen a lot of sunshine, so maybe it's not that, but, um, you know, I want to take this back to ALS a bit, you know, obviously the diagnosis affects you when you have had such a, a wonderful life. Um, but we, you know, we were talking about how you want to instill confidence in others to do things, uh, and you want to be an advocate. Do you want to help make others be advocates too? Um, there's a lot of people with ALS that haven't had the life that you have or the confidence too. Um, do you, do you think that you might have a goal of letting other people know that they can do this as well and, and pull through and, and do good things even, even after having ALS? Well, I hadn't really thought about that part. but people I thought I wanted to influence as an advocate were the people
1: who make decisions about funding and research, and, uh, provide that kind of uh, economic talent uh, that's necessary to uh, delve deeply into the root causes of this disease, to figure out how to cure it or at least uh, control it and treat it, uh, and the, the – uh, if, if my – Efforts are successful in any way uh, and also have an impact positively on someone else who comes along with this disease, I'd be certainly pleased. Uh, but frankly, I hadn't thought about uh, providing uh, sustenance of that kind to uh, other ALS patients.
0: Well, you know, for me, the, uh, the, the, one of the most important issues with uh, ALS is. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Oh, no, it does make sense. uh, I don't know what I read. Did I read somewhere on one of the ALS websites of some kind that ALS is not uncurable,
1: semicolon, or comma. It's underfunded. And that seems to me to be the the biggest issue with uh, with ALS, is getting uh, the kind of uh, research... uh, funding, uh, the uh, medical uh, funding that patients need, uh, that uh, health care professionals such as Dr. Simmons and healthcare care uh, providers like the ALS clinic, which you're a part of, uh, and the ALS association, getting those people the tools with which they can
0: Do you think from what you've been talking about that the team approach is making a difference? You're going to be speaking at the um, Hershey breakfast in a few months um, to tell people about the importance of this. Um, You know, you want to get more people with ALS to be advocates. Um, The clinic has a team and you've been uh, looking at, you've been a coach of teams. How important when it comes to the disease and just life is, you know, having a team that works together and everyone knows their role. Well, I think
1: that's extremely important, and uh, I I'm blessed with two teams. I have the ALS clinic team, and I have the VA team. Uh, you know, most people don't have the VA team. Right. Uh, and uh, well, I shouldn't say that since more more veterans have uh, ALS than, than non veterans, so maybe maybe there are more patients with the VA team. Uh, <laughs> But to me, coming back to it again, it's, uh, it's a team effort in every respect from uh, the home care you get, from your family, as well as the, uh, the health care professionals. But without the, uh, without the political clout of, uh, uh, that is so important outside, I mean, the private, private funding is certainly uh, uh, an important issue, and I will advocate uh, to the extent I can for that. Uh, now that we are in this mode, uh, but uh, as you know, uh, and as, as you're urging, I wrote to uh, several state legislators uh, to uh, not to not to sustain the current funding, but to increase the current funding. It does seem to me that uh, uh, the politics of health
0: care are extremely important, and those things are not being made by we lay people they're being made by people in legislative buildings around the country right uh, or county county uh, in, municipalities and counties
1: uh, for example let me give you an example of something that uh, now that I am a little more disabled than I was before uh, the state liquor Control board. I don't know if that's really in charge of it, opened a, uh, a new liquor store here in East York. And the doors to get in don't have any access for handicapped people. Well, that's, 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 a, that's, a, uh, that's something I haven't really... Uh, I told my local legislator that, but I haven't pressed him on it. Uh, but the, <clears throat> the thing is, if, uh, if I go there now with my wheelchair, I can't get into that door. I can get into the second door, because that's an automatic door. But they just opened this brand-new spanking uh, showcase of a
0: package store. Well, it's 2016. And, hmm? It's 2016. They shouldn't even have to think twice about this.
1: It's amazing. Uh, well, 2015. They opened it last year, yeah. So, well, uh,
0: that doesn't make it any but, better. <laughs> but, uh, in some respects, what's happened with me in terms of advocacy in this issue is just dealing with my own situation overrode. Other things I could do right at the beginning. You know, we had
1: to uh, uh, do a complete turnaround in our lifestyle. Uh, we, uh, After the uh, April diagnosis, uh, within, let's say, let's say that was mid-April, uh, in mid-June, we moved into a new-built, new house, because we had to get out of a two-story house uh, where we couldn't create the accessibility for me. I couldn't get into it. I couldn't maneuver inside of it, uh, and now we're in a one or in a condo that has uh, one floor living for me, although it has to have a second floor. Uh, and my whole, our whole uh, focus and energy for months went into this moving, removing, resettling, doing uh, modifications to this house to make it uh, even more accessible, and so on. But now I can turn my attention, because we're pretty well settled here, to addressing things like accessibility, funding and research. Whatever I can do, Tony, I would like to be able to
0: participate in that. Well, I think the best way to be an advocate is for people like yourself to remind people who don't have ALS um, what the disease is like and, and to put a face on it and a story. You know, We always tell people, whether it's with advocacy or raising money for the walk or um, just raising awareness generally, it's story, hope, and plan. You, you help people your story Because that's how we connect. We're a storytelling animal, as my biology teacher told me 20 years ago. And, you know, we are, um, that's how we connect on things. Um, And we need to let people know the hope through having a team, like your team at Hershey Medical Center with Dr. Simmons and Sue Walsh and Maureen Reed. And we also need to have a plan. Our plan is that you fund our patient care services. Our Our plan is that you can... Make this go well, get better by funding research, et etc. And with those three words, I think we can—people like you can make a big difference in this world. Well, I hope so.
1: And uh, certainly gives me a point of reference and a uh, and a goal here uh, on how to uh, make these uh, uh, these days of my illness more meaningful.
0: Well, Philip, I think you've made your entire life very meaningful, and I think it's an, your life before ALS is a good example for us all to, um, I love your phrase, walk away from what's familiar and experience the world and gain perspective. And you've obviously um, done a lot with your life just in the past year of having ALS to improve the lives of others. Um, and I just want to transition now to let everyone know um, Phil is supporting the Hershey Walk to Defeat ALS, which is coming up on June 4th at Hershey Medical Center. If you want to learn more about that walk or any of our 2016 walks, please go on to our website, www.gpcwalktodefeatals.org, which is GPC for Greater Philadelphia Chapter. You can also find all of our walks and events at www.alsphiladelphia.org. If you want to join Phil and be an advocate, you can email me, tony at alsphiladelphia.org. And uh, we Advocacy Day in D.C. is coming up in May. You can find out more about that at ALSA.org. And, of course, you can follow on social media, all uh, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, other things that we do as well, um, all one word, at ALS Philadelphia. Please continue to subscribe on iTunes and share and comment as well. Um, I'm sorry for taking all that time there, but, Phil, it's been great talking to you about your story and I hope that other people are inspired by it as I am today.
1: Well, it inspired me. It got me all revved up, too, <laughs> Tony. Uh, and especially knowing that you have a son, Andrew, that uh, I can follow now and see what he's doing and getting up to uh, on a daily basis.
0: Well, he's thank getting you. up to something new all the time, and just like your kids are, and hopefully he'll uh, take some of the lessons that you drew today.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for including me in this, and I appreciate it, and I do hope to, meet you personally as uh, soon
0: as we can. Well, we will, and um, I encourage all of you to continue following Phil's story, and like I said, get involved in any way you can to help fight ALS today. Thank you all for listening, and uh, look for more podcasts soon on iTunes.